What is life worth? Thoughts on Parshat Bahar Bechukotai. Mr. Feinberg, my husband was a fireman and died here at the World Trade Center. Why are you giving me less money than the banker who represented Enron? Why are you demeaning the memory of my husband? This was the tragic question of a widow trying to figure out her life after 9-11 and understand the complex calculations made by Ken Feinberg, the special master of the government's compensation fund. He shared this dilemma and many other difficult challenges in his fascinating book, What is Life Worth? The Inside Story of the 9-11 Fund and its Effort to Compensate the Victims of September 11th. Feinberg did not sugarcoat the personal attacks leveled at him for doing an unenviable job. He writes about having the capacity to stand up to criticism and stress and to labor effectively in a very emotional vineyard. In this kind of leadership, many misunderstand the delicate nature of the work and the temperament required. As he writes, empathy and sensitivity to the plight of those singled out for special consideration and confidence and firmness towards critics. He understood the profound despair behind the criticisms. As he writes, life's unfairness is usually the real source of their anger. The nature of the compensation received is secondary. What interests us and ties the compensation fund to this week's double Torah reading, Bahar Bechukotai, is the attempt to put evaluation on individual lives. There's an inherent unfairness and detached and impersonal objectification to an exercise that is by nature highly personal. Feinberg admitted that. It's never fair to put a price on any life, he wrote, but we do it all the time, as he said in a television interview. Juries every day in New York, every village and hamlet in this country, listen to the evidence and then place a value on an injury, on a death. It's the American way of compensating victims. In Jewish law, one of the ways we measure our life financially is through compensation for injury. Quote, one who injures another is liable to pay compensation for that injury through five types of indemnity. He must pay for damage, for pain, for medical costs, for loss of livelihood, and for humiliation, according to the Gemara in Bavakama 83b. It's not enough to pay someone's medical bills. If you've injured another, you're obligated to cover the cost of physical pain that may far outlive whatever medical procedure one has to endure. There's a loss of revenue from not working during convalescence that becomes a part of the cost and also the psychological harm. The Gemara uses the example of one person slapping another in the face in public. There may be no medical harm, enduring pain, or even loss of income, but the humiliation may be substantial. These costs are far from easy to determine. In our Parsha, however, the valuation or erech of individuals is for a different purpose, not as compensation for the dead or to the wounded, but as a tool to give tzedakah, charity. In Vayikra, Leviticus 27, verses 1 and 2, we read, God spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, When any party explicitly vows to the equivalent of a human life. Rashi, citing both the Midrash and the Talmud, explains that there were fixed monetary valuations for someone who wanted to give money to the Beit HaMikdash, as if to communicate metaphorically that the life of the temple is dependent on the lives of those who benefit from it. Rabbi Shimshon Rafael Hirsch explains that these free will offerings come down to erech, a word used in modern Hebrew for worth or value. 
This is not only monetary meaning, but communicates the values we hold dear. Rabbi Hirsch states that we place one value, our individual lives, next to another value, the estimation of our worth as a person in relationship to the holiest of places. We do not measure every single life differently, even though we believe in the singularity of each human life. Rather, as he writes, this value is given as a fixed one. It has absolutely nothing to do with physical, spiritual, intellectual, moral, or social qualities. When valuations are fixed, some people cannot afford to give the set amount, and they would not be able to contribute. Thus, the Torah continues, quote, But if one cannot afford the equivalent, that person shall be presented before the Kohen, and the Kohen shall make an assessment. The Kohen shall make the assessment according to what the vower can afford. Rashi here explains, based upon the Talmudic volume dedicated to this form of charity, that the priest works with the donor so that he can also feel the sense of belonging that comes with contributing to this remarkable spiritual center, while making sure that he has, quote, a bed, mattress, and pillow, and the tools necessary for his trade. The Talmud also discusses what happens if a person who made this vow when he was poor became wealthy and then became poor again. Does his commitment change? These Talmudic cases of injury and charity, like those in the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund, occupy the complicated space between establishing objective standards that will never fully justify the subjectivity of one's individual financial and social standing. The process will always be inherently flawed because we can never measure human worth with accuracy. Most of the time, we don't have to, but every once in a while, we do have to. It takes clarity, strength of character, and lots of time and patience. It takes moral leadership. As we close the book of Leviticus of Vayikra, we're asked to personalize the Mishkan and its rituals by asking what are we willing to give to God to show what we value. So, how would your charitable giving, your tzedakah, change if you assessed your personal worth in relation to the worth of what you are giving to?